0: What are you trying...
1: I'm trying not to wreck my hair, because I want to go out later. But these headphones, like, smoosh my hair down, and I don't like it.
0: We're going to go out later? Maybe. But I'm not wearing a bra. (laughs) That's not my problem. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm Jerry Kramer. I'm a trans woman, and my pronouns are she, her...
1: And I'm Sarah Kramer, I'm a cis woman, and my pronouns are also she, her. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. We have been getting so many messages from people on Instagram and through our email at info at meetthecramers.net about our listeners trying jumping jacks as a way to sort of kick their anxiety or their panic mode out of their body. And we've been talking, but we've talked about it a few times in past episodes about how When I feel tense with panic mode or anxiety, I just do a bunch of jumping jacks and it just kind of like gets that stress out of my body. It's a quick way to get oxygen. And also I feel like a goofball when I do it, so I laugh. Anyway, we've been getting tons of messages and lots of um, feedback from everybody doing their jumping jacks and it's making people feel better. And that makes me feel amazing. In other news, I got Botox, but not in my face
0: but also in your face.
1: Well, my jaw, because if you listen to episode two, you know that I was hit in the face with the butt of a gun during a robbery when I was down in New Orleans. Go back and listen if you want the details. Um, So my dentist had suggested that I get Botox in my jaw to help with clenching and with pain, but uh, Botox through the dentist, you have to pay for. So I asked my GP if it was possible to get it covered by medical. So he sent me to a neurologist And I was a good candidate for it. So I went in, he stuck needles all along my mandible into my masseter muscle to help them relax. And he also took the needle and put it around the back of my ear. As soon as he put the Botox in the back behind my ear, my whole jaw melted. It was amazing. Anyway, it's been a couple of weeks and I think I'm about 50% better. He suggested that I go back three or four times before we decide if the Botox isn't working, but I can tell you that it is. And I've been sleeping better and I actually feel happier. Do I seem different to you?
0: Not different, but a little bit brighter. A little bit lighter, yeah.
1: That's nice. Anyway, I'm super happy on the Botox and I thought I would share. And what about you, Jerry? You went on an adventure.
0: Kind of. I think you started it. You sent me a text message with a picture of a rock. And you said, do you think you can carry this home? I want it for the garden. I looked at the picture and I thought, yeah, of course I can. It's just a rock. And that night we went to see the rock. Number one, you took me to the wrong spot. And
1: we thought, we thought someone had taken it. (laughs) I was really upset. We spent 20 minutes looking in a culvert trying to find it.
0: And then I was like, maybe it's up the hill a little bit. And We went up and looked at it and you were elated to see it was still there. And I was mortified to see that it is not really a rock, but a mini boulder.
1: Which we have nicknamed egg because it is a perfectly shaped egg shape rock.
0: Like the egg of a brontosaurus. Yes. Big. It's big. I could barely roll it. And there was not a chance I would be carrying it home. So I suggested we walk down to the house, get the car, and come back. And we did. But we got chased by the security guard. But then the next day, coming home from work, as I was driving up the hill, I thought, well, 7 p.m. is too early for a security guard. But it's also kind of dark. And this is a perfect time to steal an egg. (laughs) And I wrapped egg in a blanket so that I could lift her. Oh, egg. And then hobble-walked back (laughs) to the car, put her in the car put a seatbelt on her, and then drove her home. It's really
1: cute. Jerry is very proud of herself for bringing Egg home. And now Egg lives in the corner of our garden,
0: and she's so happy. Yeah. And now I'm looking out the window at Egg.
1: Egg's wonderful. Egg's a wonderful... I love Egg.
0: Egg is the best addition to our yard. (laughs) So enough about our news, Egg-related and otherwise. I also just wanted to take some time to say some stuff about the podcast and how I'm feeling about doing this. I thought it was going to be really fun and kind of dumb and we would just have a really good time and no one would listen and that would be that. But the response that we've been getting has been really out of this world and it's lifting my heart. I feel so good about it. The thing about that is that as we move through our history or the history of me being trans and coming out, I didn't expect it to be this hard.
1: You thought that these things that you kept inside, you would take them to the grave and no one would ever know them ever. But instead, we have a podcast where you're telling everybody your deep, dark, secret shames that you've been trying to hide since you were a child. And now you're just putting it out there and you're like, I'm letting this go. We are purging this I
0: don't know what you call it. I it's darkness. Yeah. We're just letting the light in and it feels amazing. So even though this stuff is really hard, I I just wanted to let everybody know that by listening to this, you are making my heart sing because it is so so wonderful to be letting go of all this stuff and also to hear from everyone That all of the stuff that I think makes me super weird actually makes me pretty regular, which is kind of nice. And then that kind of leads us into this episode. So let's start off with a trigger warning. We're going to be discussing some sexuality stuff, some actual sex stuff. There's going to be some genital mentions and a little bit of sexual violence as well. So please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen And mom, you can skip this one if you want.
1: I saw an article in the New York Times and they had a questionnaire called 36 Questions to Fall in Love. And I was like, we have to do this. And it was cool because I read through some of the questions and I thought that I would know what all your answers would be, but I thought it'd be cute to do anyway. And then this really fun little quiz turned into a really intense conversation and I got to hear stories from you that I'd never heard before. And one of the questions sparked a conversation. And then you said, well, you know, I'm gay. And I was like, what?
0: I think that I'm half joking when I say that. I think what I was referring to was this back and forth inside joke that we've always had about me being kind of gay.
1: (laughs) But why did we joke about that? Like, why was that a joke?
0: Ah, I think because from the very beginning of our relationship, you've always known I was kind of bisexual and you knew about the cross-dressing and we did all that like sex role reversal stuff. It's so it's always just been a little side thing joke about you being my beard.
1: <laughs> I remember we were feeling that night we were feeling all kinds of queerness because our tattoo shop had just participated in the Victoria Pride Parade and it felt so amazing to me I felt jubilant and we had so much fun um, and I just felt kind of high off of it like it was just such a beautiful affirming wonderful day that we spent with everybody that we worked with but you were feeling the opposite right like why did the pride parade make you feel so bad
0: I don't think I really knew at the time but I was really out of sorts I was having, I guess, an existential crisis, and I was really overwhelmed. I felt really disconnected and incredibly low. It was, I had so much, I guess, shame about belonging, but not belonging. It really felt like I was just the, like, odd man out.
1: So when we got home from Pride, you were a little drunk.
0: Definitely. And
1: and feeling a little loose. I kind of jumped on your openness and we started talking about queerness and what it meant to us and how we both have always felt like we were queer, but neither of us felt like we belonged because none of the labels really felt right. Why do, Why don't the labels feel right for you?
0: I think that the labels never felt right for me because the the last word in all of the labels was man. And I don't think that I think I was really... I think I may have had a problem with that, even though I knew.
1: You mean like gay man, bisexual man? Yeah. Right.
0: Even though I knew about my feelings about trans and gender, but they were so secret and shameful and closeted that I really did, you know, still believe I was a man. And those words just felt off like it didn't work I always felt queer but I was I was looking at the whole thing from the wrong end and it never really felt right
1: right well for me I guess I'm technically bisexual but it never felt right to call myself that because I don't like labels I feel like they put you in a box and then you're you're trapped and when people ask me about my sexuality I've always just said I'm an equal opportunity lover because I get off on people's vibes so if we're vibing I'm into you and that's it
0: But for me, labels are important. They are the and all be all for me. I need a box to put myself in. I've always felt like I need to find the label that fits me. I need to put it on. I need to show everybody because if you don't have a label, someone else will put a label on you. Mm. And I want to define myself.
1: That makes sense. It's just not for me. (laughs) I feel really constrained by them. If I you know, sat and looked at all the labels for sexuality, I guess pansexual fits better than bisexual, but I don't want to, I'm not trying to like erase bisexuality because it's totally valid, but I see them as a little bit different because from what I understand, bisexuality generally refers to people who feel attracted to more than one gender and pansexuality refers to people who feel attraction to people regardless of their gender. Is that right? I don't know.
0: Those seem like pretty standard definitions to me
1: and also i just i don't like labels i'm i'm just me anyway that conversation that we were having um about queerness it then led to a conversation about our sex life we started talking about about experimenting i was really happy that we were talking about it because we hadn't visited that part of our relationship for a while and then eventually the conversation turned into us looking for sex toys <laughs> online and we might have done a little online shopping one of the things on there really caught your eye. What was that?
0: Uh, this is actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I want to talk about this stuff because it's. I, there's a lot of shame. I have a lot of shame surrounding it. And I want to put it out there because I don't want there to be shame about this. And if I put it out there, then I feel like it will disappear. One of the things that I saw on the website was a small plastic chastity cage. We started talking about... Some of my fantasies, all of them have always revolved around demasculinization. Typical forced feminization stuff or sissification. Basically anything that would take man and make them become a woman. Or just Um,
1: less of a man. A woman. Okay, okay.
0: And, I mean, that's how I saw my transness because that was the filter that we had applied to it from 25 years ago or 20 years ago
1: and also because you had been looking at trans porn right as a as an example
0: right yeah because all of my feelings all of my trans identity was wrapped up in this sort of erotic pornographic world which is obviously not like not the healthiest place to be finding my people but it was all I had
1: and also sorry to interrupt we were also operating under the assumption that these fantasies that you had are more about kinks and not about being trans so we were approaching it as a kink like some people like to be tied up and some people like their nipples pinched and some people and this is what you were interested in
0: yeah exactly
1: can you explain chastity cages a little more
0: uh chastity cage is basically a small tube and a ring that locks around your penis and testicles and prevents you from getting an erection there there was something about the the denial of the penis that is so i'm i'm probably going to be using the wrong terminology for this but it was to me it was so feminizing i guess to me to to have my penis taken away this my entire source of power. Right, and
1: we were locking it away in a cage.
0: And you put it on. You weren't
1: allowed to use it. And
0: you put a lock on it and you hand the key to your partner so it's something that you don't even have control over anymore. Right. I didn't wear it all the time. I don't know how dangerous that is. So, I mean, if you do want to do that kind of stuff, like definitely do some research. I did a lot, but I didn't do enough to say that I know that it's perfectly safe. Uh, I have a lot of shame talking about this I think probably because of my upbringing, because I was moving through my life thinking that I was just a regular heterosexual cisgendered man. But I really think it's important to talk about it because I really think queer sex is amazing. Being able to experiment and enjoy the things that you enjoy is really what it's all about. And we we should all be talking so much more about it so shame doesn't live there. It shouldn't be a part of the story at all.
1: I love that. I love what you said. Thanks. When you were talking to me about the chastity cage, I was into it. And I tried my best to give you what you needed in regards to the cage and and all that. I was having a great time, but I know that you had a lot of like, Sarah doesn't like this. Even though I told you like a million times that I was totally on board, you still didn't seem to believe me. And I felt like I just wasn't doing it right. Like you sent me articles to read and um, so I could learn more about it. And it it just never worked.
0: Because here's the thing, for years I thought that the problem of us not having much sex was because of you, but actually I think it was because of me. And because we were looking at trans as a kink, all of my knowledge, which is coming from porn, is so unhealthy. And the chastity stuff, which I really thought was the answer as a safe, private way I could have some sort of imposed feminization, it actually made me so uncomfortable because I think what I was really looking for was for you to just make me trans Mm. because I was a trans woman, full stop.
1: Yeah, because the chastity stuff wasn't enough for you. And that's because it wasn't that answer. It wasn't what you really wanted. And then like always, it just kind of fell by the wayside.
0: I think it didn't work because it, it wasn't honest. It wasn't, I wasn't being honest about what I truly wanted.
1: So timeline wise, about six months later, we ended up selling our condo and we moved to a townhouse outside of Victoria. As soon as we moved in, You announced to me that you weren't going to stand up to pee anymore. (laughs) How come?
0: Uh, I I told you that I didn't like the idea of you having to clean up my urine on the floor. So I thought that I would just sit. But I secretly really loved the way it made me feel. And it was definitely a private way that I could feel more femme. Do you think it was weird that I did that?
1: Well, no, I appreciated it because you haven't always been the best aimer. (laughs) And I'm the cleaner of the bathroom. So I appreciated it.
0: And and also, I guess around that time I started shaving my armpits as well. I feel like I want to be really clear about this. There was no part of me that was actively trying to be more femme. These were just small ideas that occurred to me and they seemed like this this would just be cleaner if I did this.
1: But how can that be true that you didn't realize that these were sort of more femme? You never thought, I'm just going to do this and then I get to I get to do, like you really were just in so much denial.
0: It never dawned on me. I love shaving my armpits. It, it feels so good for me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, on some level, I must probably associate it with feminists, but I don't feel like I do. And when I was doing it back then, I was open about it with everybody. I never, I didn't deny it or say, you know, it was just like, oh, you know, this is what I do. Lots
1: of men shave their armpits. Sure. And lots of women don't shave their armpits. Sure.
0: (laughs) They're just really funny little details. It's just the hindsight stuff.
1: What started to happen, like we moved into this house and we loved it, we were happy, but then a few cracks in the foundation started to happen in you, not the house. One was that you went on a motorcycle trip with your best friend. You do you, you both go on this trip every year, and every year you have the best time ever. But this time, I know you really
0: struggled. It just was off. Everything felt off. I felt off. I think leading up to it that summer, I'd been researching bisexuality and... I was just trying to find out some more stuff about myself. And I had read something that said that closeted queer people have a really hard time connecting. And I was really applying this magnifying glass to like everything about my life. And I realized I wasn't connected to anything. It definitely wasn't anything that Jay was doing. He was just being Jay. It just felt like I was kind of falling apart. This carefully crafted persona was not going to withstand the scrutiny, you know, someone like my one of my very best friends. I've known Jay almost as long as I've known you. You know, I'm freaking out like he's maybe he's going to notice that everything about me is falling to pieces. So, I ended the trip a little a little bit early and and it was very sudden. I think it was we woke up one morning and I was like we're going to do this ride and then I'm going to turn around and go home. And it was really sad. It was a really hard moment to leave. I'm so sorry, Jay. It just, I was just not, oh, I was just falling apart.
1: You guys talk a lot about gender politics on previous road trips. Yes. And so then you here you are on this road trip, and you know you're probably going to talk about gender politics again, but your facade is cracking. You don't want to talk about gender politics because I feel like you were afraid you were going to say something like, I think I'm trans. And then what would happen? You were still trying to keep it all inside.
0: Yeah. But also, I didn't think I was trans. That was just a kink. Talking about gender politics was not super difficult because I really did talk about it in a theorizing way. Like, it wasn't part of my life. I didn't recognize it as part of my life. But the bisexuality stuff from previously in the summer had just really kind of started to fuck with me a little bit. I think that that trip was less about me coming to terms with being trans and and The cracks, but I think it was really related to my queerness and my queerness starting to break out a little bit. That was also the same summer that we had the boat trip with all of the girls from the shop.
1: Every summer, we try and do something fun with our staff. And that summer, everyone who worked for us all happened to be women. And we rented this boat on a lake, and we all stay on this boat and have a great time. There's a hot tub. It's a whole thing. And we'd done it before, and we had a good time. This trip, you really struggled with feeling left out, and you sort of just felt like the boat captain and everyone else was having a party.
0: That was just one of those other moments of, of my queer facade cracking, my straight facade, I should say, my straight facade cracking.
1: And feeling like you didn't belong.
0: Yeah, and feeling so intensely like, I don't belong to this. That summer of 2019, there's a lot of sadness in me. I probably knew that something big was coming.
1: So we have been living in our new house for about six months and an old friend of mine passed away. Um, They had been a roommate in the Springfield punk house and Jerry and I hadn't really been connected to him in any significant way for God, like over 20 years, because I'd stepped back from being friendly with him for various reasons. I did briefly reconnect with him a few years ago when he was trying to be sober, but then um, unfortunately I had to cut him off again. When he died, it was a shock. But it was also not a surprise because he'd been a lifelong addict. And suddenly with his passing, I was in touch with all of our old friends from the Springfield House and I started to help organize the memorial service because I live in Victoria and many of them were from out of town. So it was easier for me to help, I guess. I don't know.
0: That's And that's also who you are. And
1: that's who I am.
0: Sarah Solutions. Sarah,
1: you need something done, you ask me to do it. I had a trip planned to see other friends and so I jetted off for that and... You know, normally seeing old friends is a lot of fun, but out of nowhere, the trip suddenly went off the rails because of a bunch of bullshit with an old friend of mine who got me so triggered and spun out that I was right back to like full 24 hours a day panic mode. And no matter how careful or gentle I was with our conversations, uh, they just kept going sideways. And that whole trip was an exercise in trying not to bite these poison hooks that they kept throwing at me. I didn't want to spin out, and it took all of my energy to survive what was happening. And it was a nightmare, to be honest. And it got so bad that I packed my bag and I moved to a hotel so I could get some space and try and get myself calm and grounded. But it was really impossible because I was so activated. I actually... Almost flew home early because I was just so over the drama, but a friend of mine uh, convinced me to stay. And honestly, I was hoping that there'd be like a window of opportunity so we could find a way to work things out before I left, but it never really was resolved. That trip uh, like just broke my spirit and my compassion meter had been bludgeoned and I was just really fucked up when I came home. I was not moving through the world, like our little Jerry and Sarah world, as my best self. And as soon as I got off the flight, I had to hit the ground running because I had a memorial to help organize. And then we had friends coming into town for the funeral, and we had people staying with us. And it was just, I just, I wasn't, I I just wasn't my best self. And as sad as the reason was that we were all together again, it was also like a really beautiful family reunion for me, as well as being super overwhelming. There was a lot of mixed emotions. Um, I'd had a complicated relationship with the person who had passed away. I mean, there was a reason why he wasn't my close friend for a long time, but it doesn't mean that I didn't care about him, you know? But the hardest part for me was that you were like a ghost, Jerry. Like I kept trying to pull you into conversations or just like, be with me or just be beside me. But I, I felt like even when you were beside me, I was all alone. And I I wish that that had been the only time that I'd ever felt like that with you. But there's been this running theme over the years where I would say like, where are you? Because I would feel like I was sitting beside a ghost. Like I could see you, but the emotional connection wasn't there. And at the memorial, it was so Obvious that you are uncomfortable and not like shy or nervous. It was just like so visibly uncomfortable in your body.
0: Because I was. I think we had been talking about my lack of presence that whole week. Even the people who were staying with us were talking about how weird I was being. You guys would would reminisce a bit and then be like, right, remember that? And I kept saying. I was not a part of this past that you were all talking about. And everyone, even you, kept saying, Yes, of course you were. You were there. You were there when this happened. You were right there when that happened. You were, you were like sitting at the table when we were doing this thing. And, and it was, I was physically there when it all happened because I lived in the building. What no one was hearing that I was saying that whole week was that. Even though that I was physically in those spaces and I was, my body was involved in those memories for you. I was not a part of those relationships because the, for me, there was no connection. So sure, I was at that party with everybody, but nobody was talking to me because nobody was friends with me. I was your boyfriend. I was just there. I don't know why. Why? Probably because I'm trans and queer and super closeted at that time. (laughs) There just was nothing. There was no connections being made with me besides small talk. So I wasn't there.
1: But I want to ask you because I know that the friends that were staying with us have have a different version of that. They have a version where they were friends with you and they were close to you. And so is it possible that there's two sides? They were having a relationship with you, but they weren't having a real relationship with you because you weren't showing your true self.
0: The hard part during the memorial is that no one was hearing my side. Everyone was denying my truth about it. Right. And it's totally possible that we all had different experiences because we all do. But my frustration during that week in specifically the part that was making me feel the most out of body was that you like you say that I was acting like a ghost. I felt like a ghost. I felt like I'm saying these words and, and no, no one, one is hear, listening. Yeah. No one can hear these things. Yeah. It was a really hard week for me and I didn't even know him. It was such a such a weird fucked up week
1: after the memorial, a bunch of us from the Springfield House walked through downtown together and we walked over the Johnson Street Bridge to a spot where um, some of us used to go and drink and sit on the rocks and look at the downtown skyline at night. And everyone just sort of stood in a circle and started sharing stories. And there were tears and hugs and lots of wonderful reminiscing. And I kept Looking for you, (laughs) but you were like off in the distance away from all of us. And like I said, my compassion meter was really low. And I was just so mad at you because I wanted you to be there with me. I kept trying to have you come be a part of it. I also wanted to have your arms around me because I was feeling so sad about the loss, but also about the loss of our past and our youth and about how quickly time has flown by. And I saw you walking about like 50 feet away from us. And in my head, I was just like, oh, fuck you, fuck you. And instead of worrying about where you were, I just turned my focus onto my friends. And for the first time since we've met, I just felt so alone and disconnected from you. And I'd never felt like that before. I'd never felt like you weren't part of my story before.
0: Yeah. It was so hard and I, I feel like it sounds stupid, but that I just feel like I kept saying over and over and over again to you and everyone, I don't have good memories. I wasn't a part of that. I wasn't there. And everyone was just denying that experience to me. Everyone told me I was wrong. So for the memorial, I didn't want to be at any of it. I didn't belong there. I didn't want to be there. I certainly didn't want to be at the special secret part with everybody who has a favorite story about him because I don't. I don't have a good story. We were never friends. Being at his funeral was one of the phoniest things I've ever done in my life. And I've been pretending to be a man for 46 years. I hated everything about it. I felt so, so low. I was just crushed and alone. And especially because nobody was hearing what I was saying. When we
1: got back to the car, I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, why are you not with us? What is happening? What, Like, what is this?
0: I don't remember what I said to you. It was something dumb, some, like, idiot excuse. Um, you went fawn. Because I wasn't doing anything. You, went, was, you just went fawn. I was just not being there. I was doing everything I could to be there and not be there. I was trying to be a ghost.
1: So after everybody had gone home... And I had sort of been able to stabilize myself with my panic mode. We had a lot of talks about like what's happening because I, I didn't recognize you. And we would be, I'd be talking about the groceries and your eyes would be glassy, and you'd be staring off into the distance or I'd want to ask you something about work. And it just, it, like it just continued. And I was just like, what is happening.
0: Right before you left for your trip, we had had a disagreement with one of the women at work. Rather than sort through it or figure it out, she left. She decided to leave. I took it really hard. People come and go from the business a lot. I I often wear a fancy shiny veneer, shows that everything slips off of me, but it, it doesn't. I'm really affected by each and every relationship that fails. And part of the way I handle myself is by taking it on myself. This happened because I did this wrong or I didn't do this right or I couldn't make this better. So when she left, I was really busted up about it. And-
1: Because she didn't give you an opportunity to make things better. She just
0: booked it. Right. And she didn't have to.
1: No, of course, she doesn't owe you anything.
0: But yeah, it it just, it really like just killed me. It just crushes me. We're not best friends. She just leaves and I'm just, and I fall apart. You go on your trip and you have such a terrible time. We do this whole memorial thing. Like it was just piling up and piling up.
1: And you and I were not connecting in the way that we normally connect. And that was really unusual. And it felt, I felt scared we were always we've always we're always on the same page for the most part yeah and this was the um first time that i felt like i didn't know where you were in the book
0: yeah it's it's just i'm looking back at this last half of 2019 it just seems like i was falling apart yes just breaking open i guess and so i realized i needed to do some therapy I think it was after that tattooer left our shop that I I was I was just starting to feel these feelings are too much. I don't know where they're coming from and I don't know why I have them. And I think I need to talk to somebody. It almost
1: felt like a like a like an inappropriate reaction based on the on what was happening.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And that it was unusual.
0: Right. Because as a business owner, people quit all the time. It happens all the time. Probably gonna happen this year. <laughs> Not a big deal. People move on. Tattooing is a very nomadic business. It just was killing me and I didn't know why. I think I told you that I needed to see somebody or I thought that I should see somebody. You said that was a good idea. (laughs) Yes. Because these feelings were overwhelming and I didn't think I was handling them anymore. And it's funny, but my therapy sessions kind of went like session one hey, I'm full of rage. Session two, she's like, what's your marriage like? Session three, she's like, what's your sex life like? That's interesting. Are you trans? (laughs) And I was like, what? Of course not. It's just a kink.
1: engineering for this episode by gavin stacy thanks gavin we appreciate you this episode brought to you by walter do you wish you had more dog photos in your instagram feed have you ever thought about what a four pound chihuahua's daily life is like well you're in luck follow walter kramer the chi on instagram for some daily joy Not only will his photos and videos make your heart sing, but if you leave a comment, this snarky little chihuahua will probably answer you back in all caps. Follow Walter Kramer the Chi on Instagram. And thanks for listening. See you next time.